0: John Lamera. All right, this week we get to hear from Steve Barton. Steve was the frontman for the band Translator. Now, Translator, if you don't already know, was one of those early 80s, you know, it was all new wave, power pop, uh, jangle pop, college rock, alternative rock. All these terms were starting to come out for all these bands like Translator that were doing some really great things and could fall into multiple categories. They had some success. You're listening to probably their biggest song ever, Everywhere That I'm Not. They put out four albums throughout the 80s, had some success, but eventually kind of called it quits. Uh, About 13 years later, at the very end of the 90s, Steve finally picks up on a solo career. And that's been going on ever since. Now, there's no Bad Blood with Translator. Those guys reform once in a while. Uh, But Steve primarily focuses on his solo, uh, solo career. And earlier this year, he put out a three disc solo album called Tall Tales and Alibis. It came out earlier this year. It's very different than Translator. We talk about it in here. It's dark. It's uh, sort of soft, heavy, almost depressive. I don't know. It's a very different sound than that sort of upbeat, jangly sound that Translator was doing. But anyway, this conversation, we talk about his early days kind of forming in the Bay Area with other bands that we've talked to, uh, like Eddie and the Tide and um, you know, Greg Kinn and Tommy Tutone and stuff like that. And then we also talk about sort of the height of the success of Translator and what he did, you know, during that fallow period where he wasn't really active musically, at least not in the sense of putting out albums. And then we go into what brought on the, you know, the reason or the need to put out Tall Tales and Alibis, which again, three discs, long, dark, heavy stuff anyway I hope you enjoy this I've always been a fan of his work he called me from his home in Portland you're
1: in Nova Scotia but I'm not yeah you're everywhere but I'm not yeah you're everywhere there
0: Very specifically how I discovered you. So it was about it was about 15 years ago, and uh, I uh, was watching VH1 Classic and I saw the video for Everywhere That I'm Not and I don't know how I missed this, but I never heard that song or remember hearing it or seeing the video back in the eighties. Wow. Yeah, it didn't it never clicked. I don't know why. Yeah. And so one night I see that video and I'm just struck. This is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. Uh, at the time, I was working for Tower Records in their corporate yeah. offices in Sacramento, and uh, I worked next to this guy, this grizzled old you know record retail veteran named Terrell. And uh, I go in, I said, Terrell, I, I discovered the best band last night. Do you know these guys, Translator? I heard their song everywhere that I'm not last night. It was so good. What are they? Are they good? <laughs> Should I? Do you have any of their stuff? And he's like, Oh no, man, that's their only good song. You don't need to. <laughs> you don't need to hear anything else. I'm like, really? I really like that. Are you sure? So it kind of cooled my heels. You know, I cooled my jets a little bit. Mm. Well, a few months later, I hear it again. And I just I'm like, I don't care what Daryl Terrell says. I want to know. And I uh, start investigating and I've been a fan ever. since. Oh, that's
2: great. I love that.
0: Yeah, sure. So that's where that came from. VH1 Classic 15 years ago and a guy having to overcome, you know, a bad uh, recommendation. So I want you to know (laughs) that's, you know, you fought through all that. Fantastic. Uh, First and foremost, and forgive me if this is a question you get asked a million times. Yeah. I understand if the girl is in New York. I kind of understand if the girl is in Tokyo. I am Mm -hmm. so curious why she would be in Nova Scotia. Explain this to me.
2: I remember writing that song fairly quickly. You know, when I had the, you know, I thought I saw you and then I thought I, heard your, you know, your voice and all the different senses and stuff like that. And then I don't really recall how the cities, I remember wanting to have different cities and Nova Scotia just seemed like it was just out there. I mean, I've, I I think I'd heard it in, in your, uh, your Sylvain mentions Nova Scotia.
0: Okay. But sure. I don't,
2: I don't think I know any other songs that do that, Right. but um, yeah, you know, I don't know why uh, the other person is in Nova Scotia, but um, you know, it, it it just sort of sends right. you all around the world, I guess, kind of, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, it does, and uh, I mean, I think that's you know, I'm I'm big on sort of the the moments of magic or pixie dust that get sprinkled yeah. on a song that make them special, yeah. and just a throw a, a dumb little remark like Nova Scotia in a song like that separates that song in people's mind like, oh, why why would he have said that? You know, it's separate, yeah. it makes it different than anything else. And I wondered if there was actually a girl. Who no. went to all these places or, you know, whoever. I don't know.
2: Yeah, no, sorry, I don't have a... <laughs>
0: okay, it just felt right.
2: Yes, it just okay. felt right, exactly.
0: Okay. okay, well, good. I've always wondered. That yeah. <laughs> actually is more interesting, to be honest. That, to me, illustrates your creativity better than if it had been an actual girl. And these were the I think it's
2: scanned well because it was like, you know, you're in New York, but I'm not here yeah. in Tokyo. And then, you know, you don't want to go, you're in Paris. It's just like... No it's just more of the same or, you know, it's, and then Nova Scotia, um, has four, you know, it's four syllables. It's longer. It just, it seemed to, yeah. um, seem to work.
0: Okay. I mean, if you think
2: about it, you're in New York and then that's two syllables. You're in Tokyo. It's three syllables and Nova oh. Scotia is four syllables, maybe sub subconsciously. You're right. You know, I was, um, you know, I was, I was going for that.
0: <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. That's why you're a really good songwriter, and I'm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, well, good. Okay, I've always wondered what the story was there. Um, yeah. Now let's go back to the very beginning for a minute. I, um, I know that uh, there's that song "Lost" that you know yes. got put out on your <clears throat> as a bonus on your CD. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Of you recording it like 11 or 12 years old. Lost in a world of darkness and hate.
3: Lost
1: in a world. Of Such a fast rate, I'm lost in a world which is far and near. I can't see the world as it is. I can't understand all the changes that are lost in a
0: world of people who play. Lost in world. My assumption hearing something like that is that Steve Barton grew up single-mindedly believing that he was going to be a musician and probably had no other interests. And has maybe even never done anything else. Would that be accurate?
2: Um, but, um, not exactly. Okay, but, but um, I started out. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean that when I was about nine, I started taking. Well, I I taken piano lessons from when I was probably about six or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, for a couple of years, this great lady named Lydia Kendall. I remember, nice. she's a friend of my parents and she'd come in wearing like a big moo-moo and, and she was, she was great. <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. She was great. And, um, I still have some of those exercise books and there was mm-hmm. a, actually one of the first songs where it's interesting when I think about this, that there was a song in that exercise book. And one of the exercises was, um, uh, here's this little tiny melody, put some words to it. And so it was like, Oh, hmm.
3: and,
2: it, and it went, dun, 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 dun. it was just very simple little, you know, mm-hmm. finger thing, and um, I wrote some song about the moon winking or something. But um, but with with lost, uh, you know, I started a band when I was about um, eleven. Called who does Red that? Tense.
0: Who yeah, does it? called? <laughs> what is, how does it even occur to an eleven year old to? Well, it was do me this? and my
2: my my friend Larry Friedman, who was a guitar player, and I was a drummer at that time, wow. and I had my little drum set yeah. and took drum lessons. From this guy, this English guy. And back then, you know, the Beatles were still together. And it was like, he might as well have been in the Beatles, you know, Uh because he would would say, Oh, we're going to do some paradiddles today, Steve. You know, he was, uh, his name was um, Bob Wilkinson. I I thought he was just so cool. And uh, um, so I was taking drum lessons and um, just for a little while. And then um, Larry Friedman, my friend, and I started writing a couple of songs together. And we I remember we were in Lake Arrowhead, which is um, near Los Angeles. It's up in the mountains, above Los Angeles, like on a little family vacation. Probably our two families went or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember he brought his guitar, and we were writing this song called "Lost," and and my voice hadn't changed yet, you know. So it was like you know,
1: I you know, lost in a world of darkness and hate,
2: <laughs> and um, you know, eleven writing songs, going lost yeah. in a world of darkness and hate. Yeah. You know? Okay. And, um, <laughs> and I remember it was going A to D, A to D it was like a typical song. And then he went to a G chord. It was last with we fire, fireman, last fire, the fire, and and we the fire and to a G. And I thought, whoa, whoa, what was that? <laughs> and that was, oh, you can do
3: that? Yeah.
2: Oh, I, I would never have thought of that, you know? So, right. um, and we wrote another song that same weekend called Illusions that got recorded, but I don't have the oh. tape of that anymore.
3: Okay. That was another
2: cool little song. Wow. Um. But Lost, a tape of it or something, got to my, a friend of my parents who knew Mike Curb, who ran Mm -hmm. uh, Sidewalk Records at the time. And uh, they had the biggest thing that had been on their label was a band called, I think, the uh, Blue Arrows. Mm. They did instrumental kind of um, sci fi, instrumental surf music sort of thing. Okay. And, um, um, they brought it, and he's and I think he was like, "Wait, they're how old? Now let's bring them <laughs> in the studio, you know mm-hmm. and so we went in, and I remember all our gear was in the car. It was you know at that, at that point we had a bass player and um, a couple other people. and um it had all been pre-recorded. Mm. And so we were you know sad.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and so we cause we thought oh, we're gonna rec- oh yeah so he he astutely had me sing over that and um, had us record another version with the band, with our band doing it, with me playing drums. Hmm. That, that's the version that's on the record on The Boy Who Runs a Bike Around the World album of mine. Yeah. The sort of hidden track is the one with the studio musicians.
0: Oh, uh, okay.
2: And I do have both. I have uh, the one that's really charming, the one with the band. I bet. And yes, that, that happened. The record never came out. It was going to be a single on Sidewalk. And I think my memory is that, the guitar player's dad or one of the member's dads wouldn't let them sign the contract. Oh, they're going to rip these kids
0: off. You know, that really? kind of thing. So I, I not to, that's what happened. Let me pump the brakes on this for a second. So you literally, at 11 years old, you and your buddy go in mm-hmm. with the intention of, this isn't just kids, you know, recording things in a booth in a mall like it used no. to be. You know, this is a literal, we're going to record a, a single at least, put it out on Sidewalk Records, see what happens
2: yeah well that's, we figured that's you crazy. know
0: yeah
2: and if it had come out who knows it would have happened sure you know? but sure. it was a cool sounding record yeah um and i'm gonna just fast forward to many years later uh-huh. and um <clears throat> there was i was talking to someone who was an archivist for for sidewalk or for my organization we you know he became a big sure. wig in the, mm-hmm. um and i said oh wow you know, I was in a band that we, and I told him the whole story. Yeah, and and he got back to me saying, "There's nothing in the," because I was trying to find the oh, other song that we recorded. Right. And he said, "No, there's nothing in the." I said, "But I was a studio musician." And he said, "Well, you know, the only people that we used back then for step for sessions like that was uh-huh. the Wrecking Crew." No. And I said, "Wait, this one sounded all like the Wrecking Crew." He said, "Well, I don't know who else we would have used. That's who they used."
0: So, so it's I'm going possible? with that. No, it's,
2: it's possible that it's the Wrecking Crew playing. That
0: the Wrecking Crew played Illusion with you yeah, and your buddy.
2: Yeah, the, yeah, and that wreck, that that version of Lost that that's on that record yeah. is, is supposedly the Wrecking Crew, but I can't, you know, I can't <laughs> guarantee that. But wow,
0: wow, you know. <laughs> what an amazing piece Because I never saw it, it was recorded when we got there. Sure, you know, so. sure. Oh yeah. my gosh! Wow. So, what's the, you know, your friend, uh, the other guy's dad won't sign the thing. Maybe he thinks it's yeah. devil music or whatever. I don't know if you're old enough to even have dreams that are getting dashed that you've got to rise. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, it's, it's, it's so... ne- you're
2: never too young to have your dreams <laughs> dashed, I no, guess.
0: That's, you know? that's true. That's true. That's all of this. <laughs> But in a real sense, like, what do I do with the rest of my life? That probably isn't happening to you. So, no. later on, when you, does this spark a fire in you that never goes out? where it's just, well, this is what, this well, is what I want to
2: do. it did. The band kind of sputtered on for a few months. And then we did end up breaking up. And um, and th- then I was sort of like, hmm, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I liked writing songs. That was cool. And so I started, I switched from the guitar. I would always play the piano. But I switched to the guitar from the drums. And started writing songs. And these early songs, which I have a bunch of on the um, tapes that I've transferred over, but um, were interesting. I mean, my my parents had lost a son before I was born. Oh, wow. Who was two and a half years old.
3: Okay.
2: And um, a lot of the songs, it's really interesting when I look back on it, that I wrote when I was about 12 and 13 were about, like death and time mm. passing, and mm. this is, you know, for a kid. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, you know, there was one that went, um, the clock says it's time, time to die, you know. Wow. Uh, why now? Why now? Oh, you know, that gosh. kind of thing. It, it's just, yeah, it was tip. really heavy and yeah. kind of minor key, like a Doors song. And it was like, what is <laughs> going on here? It's and, a- um, <laughs> all in this voice that hadn't changed yet. Yeah. And, um, um but those are a lot of the early songs and then my parents again brought a tape to a friend of theirs who had an incredibly great name his name was uh Bill Rainbolt which is a great great name <laughs>
0: that is a great name and
2: uh, and he drove like a uh like a triumph you know convertible sports car and he was uh-huh. bald headed like Kojak it was just incre- the whole thing was just <laughs> and That's he
3: great.
2: brought uh a tape of my songs to a uh, Someone at um, a publishing company that doesn't exist anymore called ABC Dunhill. Mm, And um they had Tommy Rowe and Mm -hmm. they had uh Steppenwolf and some really cool um the James gang and some really cool stuff. Um and at this point I'm about fourteen and they signed me to a publishing contract. No way. A songwriter, you know, contract. And I was getting twenty five dollars um a week as advance on royalties, which was a small fortune to a fourteen year old. (laughs) Sure, sure. And um I did that for uh, two years no, and they would bring me in. There were like projects. There was a TV series that they wanted me to try to write some songs for that. And I think it ended up not ever going on the air. It was going to be kind of loosely based on an old TV show called My Three Sons, but it was going to be with chimpanzees. <laughs> so it was like my three, you know, chimps. My or something. Three
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, I, for some reason, it never put on the air but i remember going down to where they were filming it, and there were these trained chimps dressed in you know little suits and stuff Uh um and and i wrote these songs and i was mildly embarrassed that i was you know having to write really really um, what they thought was commercial sounding songs. And, you know, I just wanted to write sort of. So already at 14, my, my you were
0: worried about your street cat feeling like. Yeah, exactly. Out.
2: And in fact, I didn't tell my friends that I had a publishing deal. <laughs> oh, and one of them kind of found out by accident. And oh. I went, oh, yeah. I have, and they were like, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> I said, ah, I was kind of embarrassed, but, you know. Oh, man. And then that ended. And then, you know, I was in high school and it was about time to graduate from high school. And after, I was also very interested in French, French language, mm. and I still speak French. Okay. And um, I went to, a friend of my parents' daughter had gone to Grenoble near the Alps, to the university, mm. to a, um, like a program for foreign students or something for a summer.
3: Okay. And
2: so I thought, oh, I'd like to do that. So after um, after high school, I went to France for, you know, for a, not a semester, but like for a summer program and um <clears throat> it was there that i i kind of literally made a choice i I remember it's like a movie i remember yeah. looking in the window of a music store that i'd walk by and there were you know the guitars hanging in the window and stuff and this was david bowie was you know ziggy stardust was mm-hmm. out at this point and i would look in the window and just think I, I really just want to play you know rock and roll and but i really want to you know study french mm-hmm. you know because I, I, I thought I would be, you know, um, maybe a, a translator at the UN. Okay.
0: Ah, translator. And so
2: interestingly, Perfect. yeah. All
0: okay, right, Got it. <laughs> and
2: so uh, I came back, and I, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to sort of go to graduate school for French after all. I'm just going to, I'm going to pursue music, whatever whatever that means. I don't even know sure. what that means.
3: Right.
0: You know?
2: And um, yeah, and that's kind of set Jeez. me on the on the path. First yeah. of
0: all, your parents. Sound like they're the best because mm. every hookup you've had so far has been a friend of my parents. I know. You know, knew somebody or know this guy or whatever.
2: Yeah, well, my parents were both actors. And, oh, really? Um, yeah. Pe- my, anything we would know? Yeah, my mom was in um, a couple of cool movies. She, she was in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Oh. And yeah, she played their mother in the very beginning, sort of a, the, Ooh. you know, put upon stage mom yeah. in the beginning. Okay. Well, I want ice cream. You know, that kind of thing. She had, she had the haggard look, like, okay. okay. And, um, and some other cool movies, but she was in um, a couple of classic Twilight Zones, the one called wow. The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, which is kind of an allegory to the Cold War, really cool. Okay. And she played Eddie Haskell's mother on Leave it to Beaver. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow. And
2: so those are kind of her claims to fame, although okay. she did a whole bunch of stuff. Sure. And my, my dad was in, you know, a few movies and a bunch of TV. They both did like a bunch of early TV, like, you know, Bonanza and Gunsmoke sure. and Perry Mason and all that kind of stuff. And, um, it, you know, they're both, um, no, no longer with us, but sure. uh, my dad did voiceovers in, way into his eighties. He was, you know, he, he kept doing it <laughs> What? and, uh, wow. um, yeah, he had an incredible voice. And so, um, yeah, they had their friends were all kind of in the business. So I guess yeah. they knew people who knew people, although my parents were not music people at all. But you know,
0: they're entertaining yeah, they, they people, all, though. Yeah, but they were really helpful. Tentacles. Yeah, it okay. is true.
2: They were really helpful.
0: Wow, good for you. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's great. Now, um, so Translator comes together whenever it comes together, late 70s. And I believe you guys move up to San Francisco, which now that yeah. I'm learning a little bit more about your la-based pedigree with your parents and everything that seems like maybe a bigger uh, move than i would have imagined and it was, what the, it was huge was that, well i was gonna i have a secondary question you can comment on that and my other thinking was i know you were signed to 415 records with david Kahn, and that was in san francisco i yeah. wondered if you moved to san francisco and then got signed or part of being signed was you moving to san francisco to be closer
2: oh. well we, we we started in la as a trio and um, and then uh, Robert Darlington, our other guitar player, writer, joined us after about six months, and that became the lineup. Okay. Um, and and to this day, we still play sometimes, and that sure. you know that it's still the same original four people. But um, yeah, we played around L.A. for you know for a while, and it was Larry Decker, our bass player, said you know we can consider moving to San Francisco. Cause I think we felt like we were sort of beating our heads against the wall in, in LA or just, just things weren't, or needed a change or mm. something. So we all went up there like for a, for a weekend, went to Santa Cruz in San Francisco and did some shows. And it was like, Oh, this is incredible. Cause really? we would play kind of a weird sort of music back in the early days. Um, you know, we would play, um, I was writing really dissonant songs in the the mm. very, very early stuff it was but why play a G chord when I could play this weird chord, you uh-huh. know? So it was, you know, it's that kind of thing.
3: Yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> and, um, um, and then we would also do things like play, uh, "Girl from Ipanema, yeah. but, you know, not ironically, we would just play it and then mm-hmm. go into a punk song and then go into a, you know, a mercy beat song. Right. And I think in LA people are like, what in the fuck is this? Uh-huh. What, what is this? um and although we had some people who really got it there in LA I will say that okay. um and um when we moved to San Francisco though i noticed everyone was really um accepting
0: really okay.
2: of the as the, the weirder we got like the better it was you know they loved yeah. it yeah
0: let me ask and you so, what might you be know. a little bit of a naive question are you less are you less likely to quote unquote be discovered in San Francisco than you would have been in LA Or do you move there and then you kind of gain a following and that a following is a following if it's big enough, no matter where you are, that gets the attention of the right people.
2: Well, that's what happened. I mean, we, we had, you know, moved there, not knowing anybody, except we had a couple of names that some friends had given us.
0: Your parents? One was
2: how my parents. Just kidding. Yeah. My my parents had given us some names and we called and they took us out to dinner and it was very nice. (laughs) (laughs) No, we had a couple of names. One was Howie Klein. Oh, sure. Uh And one was, uh, David Kahn yeah. and um, we didn't know anybody we didn't know. And also um, this guy named uh, Floyd at, at where, where place that ended up being our rehearsal studio for years. And he ended up going on the road with us and doing our sound. And, but we pulled in and we, that's the first place we went was to Iguana. That was the rehearsal mm-hmm. studio. Yeah. And then we met David Kahn. He said, Oh, well, let's go in the studio and, you know, you know, fuck around and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And there was a studio there that he worked at called the Automat that isn't there anymore. And um we recorded everywhere that I'm not Necessary spinning. I
1: remember when we used to play a game, take you by the hand, and spin you very fast, spin, let you go, stop yourself, the statues freeze the floor. But I was
2: years old again. A song called "Current Events" and I think another couple of songs, and the "Everywhere That I'm Not" song he gave to Howie Klein, that recording, which ended up being the same recording that's on the record. Okay. Um, and Howie started playing it on KUSF, which was the college radio station up there. Okay. He had a she had a show there, and noticed. You know, it sounded different than everything else on the radio.
0: It did. It at still that, does. At
2: that time, yeah. yeah, and at that time especially,
3: because
2: mm-hmm. um, everything was very um, either uh, not everything, but things were either kind of hardcore or mm-hmm. they were, you know, this, uh, and then this sort of loping, you know, yeah, kind of thing, jingly
0: thing, that, yeah,
2: jangly thing. Yeah. Was, was although there were a lot of bands doing stuff like that
0: yeah but time. i mean new wave is kind of dominating everything i and you're and because your stuff even uh, it's a little bit hard to classify in some ways it's not yeah it reminds me a little bit of the Plimsouls, right uh, who could be an excellent power pop band when that's the what they decided exactly. to exactly but there would be times exactly. when they would do something completely different like you guys do you
2: know? yes exactly and yeah. i think you know our sort of touchstone was always the beatles and um we always called ourselves if people asked you know oh we're a cross between uh we're like the beatles meets cream Mm. Mm. um and it it wasn't really that but that was sort of the closest we could we could get to it
3: okay
2: um and you know if you think about that all those songs sounded different you Mm -hmm. know than than you know like the beatles and their songs didn't all sound the same really and so you know we we liked that and um yeah, so we would play in San Francisco and we ended up getting a, a, a pretty good following there and then, yeah, Howie ended up signing us to 415.
0: Okay, okay. Yep. So when you're when this is happening and, and um, you know, the tr- first album comes out, Heartbeats and Triggers and yeah. Everywhere That I'm Not starts to... Now, I don't believe that song ever actually, like, hit the actual national top 40, but it was getting a lot of attention in certain pockets. I don't know if you're yeah. seeing this. I don't know if you're seeing your video on MTV and thinking... Oh, yeah. This is happening. We were,
2: yeah, we were actually in one of the initial promos for MTV.
0: You were? Oh, nice. Yeah, one of the initial, hey,
2: music, you can look at, you know, <laughs> yeah, whatever it was. Right. And, um yeah. And it showed, like, a little clip of, I think it was Flock of Seagulls, and a sure. little clip of Everywhere That I'm Not, and then a little clip of, I don't know, Thompson Twins or something. Right. And, um, yeah, that, that's oh. kind. Of, you can find that on YouTube. That, okay, that good. One those, good. for Initial you. promos, yeah.
0: Great. Okay. So you've got to be thinking, you know, our, my dream is coming true. This is happening. You're getting on the radio. You're getting a lot of attention. Um, I don't even know. Was there a second single off that album? Was it um, Mm. Sleeping Snakes? Well, Um, it it
2: wasn't. We did another video for Sleeping Snakes. I think officially there was only one single. There might have been an okay. EP. Okay. Which they used to do back then. We did a dance version of one of the songs which they used to do back then.
0: Okay.
2: Of, of When I Am With You, like an extended
0: mix. Oh, and I
2: think Sleeping Stanks might have been on that EP as well, I think. Okay.
0: Okay. So, what's happening? How does your life change? When you, you know, I don't know if you're going out opening for. Huey Lewis or Greg Kinn or some of the Tommy mm. Two Tone or those other Bay Area bands, Eddie and the Tide. What do you do? Well, we
2: well we played with all those people, but okay. we um, I don't know if we played with Huey Lewis, but I will say it was incredible because really? we suddenly how I remember Howie Klein had a big map of the U.S. in his office four and five, which was a little storefront office in the Mission in San Francisco, mm. and he had written above it all bands on tour all the time mm. that that was his sort of mantra <laughs> right and then he had little you know uh, pins where all his bands were and um you know red meant romeo void and you know mm. blues can be translator or whatever mm-hmm. and um and then we did our first tour and it was incredible mm. you know um it, it was just incredible yeah i mean and you know I. I have told this story before but I will say that we went to um we were in New York and we were playing at the Ritz and I remember I was completely nervous Uh because it was like New York and you know why are they gonna care about us they've got all this great stuff here my god the talking heads are from here Jesus Christ you know who cares right and um, I came from the hotel and came around the corner to where the Ritz was, and there was a line going out the door and down the block. And For we, you? Know, you? Played, yeah, it was completely sold out. Nice. Yeah, and people were, you know, just really kind and knew the music, and it was it was fantastic. Yeah. That is so great. that was a nice moment. Good. Yeah, it was a nice moment.
0: See, this yeah. is kind of because I came to you guys later. I don't. I know that you were around. I know that you had some videos. I didn't really know the weight of it all. You know. So that's yeah. great. I wasn't sure whether translator is translating everywhere or if it's kind of a regional well, thing that is great
2: no it was it was it, it, it was um everywhere and i will say um you know even to this day um you know regardless of how high everywhere that i'm not got on the charts yeah you know everyone you know it seems to remember that song and know yeah. that song yeah you know well except for you but I
0: mean, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right i'm the i'm the guy i'm the outlier <laughs> i yeah. know <laughs> uh well good. Okay. So then you know No Time Like Now comes out and yeah. um I you know depending on the day, sometimes I like unalone even more than yeah. everywhere that I'm not yeah. there. just in yeah. my mood. <laughs> video for that i want to ask you about the video more in a second but okay um are you i don't know for sure i'm guessing because we don't hear that song or any of the others as much that maybe the album underperformed a little or just didn't capitalize on the buzz what was this what happened with that um
2: you know you never know what you know what happens i mean the tour was really successful um
0: were you, you know, headlining or were you opening? For we some
2: things? headlining shows I and mean, we did some incredibly great opening shows, like with uh, we did a whole series of shows with B fifty twos. Nice, very
0: good and a whole
2: bunch of shows with Gang of Four.
0: Ooh and and nice. with
2: Psychedelic Furs.
0: Ooh. And good one. you know,
2: we it was just the two bands and you know yeah. we'd we'd be support and but almost on equal footing, it was very, very, very well received. And then we'd do our own shows too.
0: Great.
2: We great opened way. for David Bowie at the Oakland what? Stadium. Yeah, you the did? Oakland Stadium. Yeah. You know, in, in support of that album. <laughs>
0: Did you yeah. ever meet him or have any stories with him?
2: He was, he stood right next to me backstage where, like, the catering was to get uh, uh, food.
0: Uh-huh.
2: But I was too tongue-tied. I mean, of he course. was, like, <laughs> you know, uh, he was my guy. He was my guy, like,
3: too. Yeah. He
2: was, like, uh, there he is. And he was wearing, like, jeans and a T-shirt. Really?
3: Because he
2: hadn't changed into his stage clothes. Oh, yeah, right. he just, like, just a guy getting his food. And it was, like, there's it was a serious moonlight tour. Yeah. Oh, and I had seen him. I had seen him with the spiders from Mars, you know, and, uh, Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, in, in L.A. at the Hollywood Palladium. But wow. yeah, um, yeah, him and Mick Ronson was a big
0: yes influence for me.
2: Yes, but um, yeah, so yeah, the the second album. I remember, I remember writing on Alone and it was. Um, it's funny. It was originally going to be a big strummy, um, like a dance rock and roll song that mm. just like with big open strummed chords mm-hmm. and um uh we changed it to the more sort of clipped eighth notes kind mm-hmm. of um kind of feel and it really worked um and it came out and it did it did um i, I think it did fairly well you okay. know but okay. um uh you know that album we Purposely wanted to make a different. You know, our whole thing, like I said earlier, was to not repeat ourselves. We didn't mm-hmm. want to just make heartbeats and Triggers" part two. Mm-hmm. And so, even the heartbeats and Triggers," I think, is a wonderful record.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and you know, so uh, no time like now is. We wanted a, like a kind of bigger,
0: good,
2: you know, thing with like put a bunch of echo on it and make yeah. it this like big thing and. And so I think it really worked. I, there's some really good songs on that record, too. I'm really proud of it.
0: I actually, I think, like that album better. I yeah. Think that might some... be my favorite translator album. Actually. I mean, I remember the,
2: the head of, uh, you know, 415 Records became uh, part of, of uh, well, it was called CBS at the time, of Columbia Records. And um, so there was, you know, incredible distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from, through the Columbia, we were at the Columbia offices in New York. I remember going up an elevator with one of the guys who ran the company named Al Teller. And um, he said, OK, I know what the single's going to be from from, this, from your new album. And I said, what's that? He goes, there's a song on there called I Love You. That's the single. I could
1: never tell
2: you what it
1: meant to me just to know that you were nearby. Well, I've decided. to tell you, at least I
2: Like, oh no, that can't be! It's like a ballad, and you know now, like, like you know, we're a rock band, man. Right. If I had that to do again, that's one thing, you know. And I don't look back really ever and go, God, I wish I, you yeah. know, like things are what they are. But I would just go, hey, you know, this part of the thing more than I do. Really? Go for it, go for it dude. Whatever you want to do, I don't care.
0: Um, so did you I, have to like fight for Unalone over I Love You? And did that cause didn't have some to, kind of a riff or anything? No, I
2: didn't. No, I don't think we had to fight for it. But I remember just saying,
0: oh, I don't know. I think we should. Maybe yeah.
2: that could be a second single or something. Yeah. Um, but I think Whereas you if you that do
0: what he wants, then he gets, he puts all his muscle behind promoting it because it's his idea. Know,
2: that, yeah, maybe. I don't, you know, I don't even know. And I don't even know how serious he was about it. You know, but I, I remember that moment. But um, I don't think it had anything to do with anything. Mm. You know, mm. didn't have any effect on anything. Yeah. Um, um and I remember sitting in his office and um uh, I remember I was slouching in a chair kind of I think I'd seen a picture of um, Keith Richards doing that in a in a record executive's office. I thought I'm gonna do that. So I was like slouching in a chair. <laughs>
0: and
2: and he said um he said uh you know there's another band on the label and you know similar trajectory to you guys and we think same thing I said who's that he goes they're called the psychedelic furs and I, was, and I was and I was like and I adored them I was yeah. like I was like oh you think we're in the same league as like this is great you know yeah. so it's like everything was was really cool and good. Uh, David Kahn produced that album again yeah. and mm-hmm. so he did that one classic and, um
0: yeah good let me um, let me ask you a side question about that Bowie tour I um, did you ever cross paths with the Tubes being in the Bay Area? It's
2: funny you'd say that. That show at the uh-huh. Oakland Stadium was translated to the Tubes. David
0: Bowie. I had a feeling. So I had Fee Waybill on here a mm-hmm. year and a half ago or so. He's one of my favorite entertainers. Yeah. And he told a story that the last show that they played with Bowie was also his birthday, mm. and. um... <laughs> I don't know if I should read. Well, it's already out there. He already told the story. So um, Bowie said to Fee, hey, I've got a really special present for you. Um, After the party, because there was a party the last night of the show. Maybe you were there. I don't know. Um, uh, After the party, why don't you come on up to my room and uh, I'll give you my present. And Fee flipped out because he found out that it was... Either It was going to be one or both of either drugs or sex with David Bowie, and he wasn't into either. And so right. he, he didn't end up going up to the room, and right. he never saw David Bowie again. And I thought that was the craziest story to hear about that. And so when you were saying... You know, you play, You opened for Bowie on Sirius Moonlight in the in the Bay Area. I thought, I wonder if the tubes were there, too. And it was around that same time. Well,
2: it's, it's funny. We had to leave during Bowie's set because we had a gig that night. You oh. know, when you open at a stadium kind of thing like that, it was during, mm-hmm. you know, early in the, you know, the evening or whatever. Yeah. And we had to drive to Santa Cruz. We were doing a headlining show in Santa Cruz that night. Mm-hmm. So we had to leave during Bowie's set. Okay. And, and I'm that'd... thinking... You know, the other side of that story could be that David Bowie's waiting for for him up in his room for the birthday, <laughs> right. and then he's like, "He's not coming." I bought him this, <laughs> I bought him this book. I thought he'd like. Why isn't he here? I know. Going oh, well, I'm going to go get dinner. I you
0: know. know. I asked. I know. I asked Thee <laughs> the same thing. Are you sure that's what he had in mind? He said, "Oh yeah, that's what it, that's yeah. right what the plan was." So right. Anyway, I. Yeah, uh, right. That's funny. Be that I'm as sure. it may. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well. Uh, anyway, okay, good. I wanted. To, I was curious if there was a connection there. Now let's get into the third album here. So Translator comes out. Ed Stasium produces this. How do you get? At this point, have you have you worked enough kind of credit with the label that you can call your own shots? And you think we love the Ramones. We want Ed Stasium to come produce our album.
2: Well, it's funny, you know. After the No Time Like Now album, our second album, um, you know, we did the tour and everything, and everything was cool and groovy and we, we thought you know it'd be interesting to work with someone else just as a you know mm-hmm. mix it up a little bit you know again we didn't want all the records to sound the same and and so we thought you know who could we work with though and we for a minute thought about can we get george martin is that even possible mm-hmm. and oh. you know we tossed a few names around and somebody i think our a and r guy said well i want you to meet this guy ed Stasium we said, okay. Mm -hmm. And all we had to hear was that, I mean, even more than that he'd produced the Ramones for me, Mm -hmm. uh, which was great. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was that he was the recording engineer on the first Talking Hands album.
0: Mm, And I was like,
2: okay, done. Yep.
0: Yeah.
2: And, and, um, and then I found out later, he was the recording engineer on Midnight Train to Georgia, like Gladys Knight and
0: the Pips. Oh, he was? I didn't know that. Yeah.
2: So it was like, man, and we can work with him? okay. (laughs) that's fine. Whoa. And, and then we met him. I remember at a hotel in Berkeley, he came to the Bay area
3: uh-huh.
2: and there were just an immediate connection. Oh, it was good. just like, Oh, this is great. This is cool. Okay. And so we, we said yes. And, and, um, made the second album, which was just called translator.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Oh, I forgot to ask another question about the video for unalone. Oh yeah. Um, was the girl in the video, your actual girlfriend? Um, no. Okay.
2: And here's the, it, this is another, in, this is in the category of if I had to, to do again,
0: uh-huh.
2: um, which you don't, uh-huh. by the way, with all the fab listeners. Um, uh, <laughs> um, and again, I don't sit around and look back and go, oh my God, what if and oh, oh if only, oh shit, you know. Yeah. Um, but I will say the person who directed it was a, kind of experimental film director
3: mm.
2: and who we had gotten because of that. We said, we want to work with this guy. Yeah. And the song was never, uh, a, you know, it's not a song about a guy who lost his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I always thought Unalone meant uh, more of an existential, mm. it's more like a song I would have written when I was 12. Mm. You know, it's, it's you know, there are, I always write kind of about the same kind of stuff and it's mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, finding human you know interaction and, right. and connection and in the world, and you know and you want to be on alone, you know that kind of thing right. um and it kind of morphed into, yeah, I know you'll be in a car and you'll be looking for your girlfriend, and they'll and the other band will be kind of the you know comic foil. and you know the it, it, and it was fun. I remember the in interviews at the time, we said, you know it's like. Three Stooges meet Ingmar Bergman <laughs> and which, which it kind of is, yeah, you know, it
3: is. That's and,
2: good. Uh, it's, it's a fun little video.
3: Right. Um,
2: you know, but I was not, you know, it, it, it was never Steve Barton and translator. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, to me, I didn't want it to be that. And so uh, that was, that's the only thing I would do a little differently about that. But kind that of separated
0: said, you as like the star of the video. Yeah. And yeah,
2: that was okay. never, that was never the intention mm-hmm. of the, of the mm-hmm. band. Okay. Um, and, um, but it's, it's, it's definitely a fun little video.
0: Yeah. The question that I had, the reason I asked this is because you have to kiss a girl and you get to kiss this girl who's super, mm-hmm. super pretty, by the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just was watching that cause that was, an, I don't remember seeing that video back in the day. I, you know, thanks to YouTube, I know that video now. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm watching this thinking is, uh, you know, does Steve, Is this part of like being a rock star? Is Steve like, heck yeah, I'll kiss the girl in my video and I'll be the star and I'll be the rock star and that's all part of this life, man. Of course. Or is it like, ooh, I didn't get into this to be an actor. This is this. People are watching. There's a guy with a you know camera over there. I'm not.
2: I'm not an actor, and I'm really (laughs) very clear about that. And you know, if you look at that video, you can see I look really uncomfortable. And it's you know, I'm. I'm, It's just not my my thing. Uh huh. Um. No, if I. As to do, again, I'd say, just we don't even have to be in it. Just yeah. do some weird shit, right. you know?
0: Right, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, I was curious. I, I wondered yeah. if... Because uh, that can't be... I never think of screen kissing as being easy, but for an actor or an actress who do it a lot, maybe it's different. And for the yeah. front man of a rock group doing his... Second or third professional video yeah. Maybe it's awkward You know Right I don't know
2: It was definitely awkward
0: Okay <laughs> Okay So back to Translator Come with me I think that's probably The lead single Single off that album Yes It's also it excellent I don't know Whatever man Again, are you, because it sounds to me like you're there's not a there's not a registration going on with you or maybe anyone else where anything is dipping or, uh, prog- or devolving. Maybe you're thinking, this is great. We're just chugging along, playing with bands we like, making a living yep. as professional musicians. Yep. We're not getting tons of play on the radio or top 40 hits, but that's cool. Right. We, can, we got our thing going and it's working. Right. Is that what's happening? Kind of. Okay. Okay. You know, I don't
2: know if we really thought about that at the time, but yeah, if I think back on it, yeah, probably probably something like that,
0: okay. Well, the reason I ask is because I, I I assume that a lot of people that get into music, I mean, it's all you really it's all about connection. You write songs because you want to connect with the most amount of people. Hey, I did this thing, and I really it means something to me, and I hope you love it too. And then you, and if you're not connecting with as many people as you feel you should, are, are you even noticing, or are you fine with that, or does it bother you, you know?
2: Well, I mean, you always want people to, well, I'll speak for myself. I mean, you know, I always want people to, um, you know, hear the songs I write and, you know, hopefully like them and, yeah. you know, feel a connection, you know, um, to them. You know, everybody wants to be liked, you know, and it's like, um, you know... I would write songs even, and I did write songs before I had a record contract. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 yeah, this is the kind of thing b- being, this is a little, little off the topic, but to me, anyway, being a writer mm-hmm. uh, is, it's a solitary kind of thing, unless you're, mm-hmm. you know, doing a collaboration. But for me, for the most part, it's, it's a, it's a solitary kind of occupation, a lonely occupation. And, um, it's nice when somebody even, let alone likes it if they've even mm-hmm. heard you you mm-hmm. know it's
3: mm-hmm.
2: and then if you find out that it moved them or and i find that out all the time people say really kind things to me and it's you know right. um that that's a huge reward mm-hmm. now when you're in a band especially that's distributed by a major label um yeah you you, you know you you want as many people as possible to hear this stuff because you have mm-hmm. a great opportunity to have it you know distributed
3: yeah you know yeah
2: um with the third album which uh, another album I really like I like all the albums mm-hmm. but um we had re- we had demoed all these songs at my house
3: mm.
2: my apartment in San Francisco and some of the recordings sounded very similar to our demos we yeah. were we were we pretty much knew what we were going for good and then Ed was and staging was great at at, um, at you know getting it down on on literally on tape yeah. in those days and um and then we mixed it in New York, which was really exciting. We got to go to New cool. York for a couple of weeks and mix Very the cool. album. And Yeah. Um, and I think we did a couple of gigs, too, when we were out there. But, um, you know, the songs, I think, were really strong. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. And, and um, beautifully recorded and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we did a tour after that album. Well, we did a video for, for the song Come With Me where we went to India. Mm. and oh yeah um,
0: yeah that's right
2: yeah the yeah the director of the video his family is from india and he was a filmmaker he said you know we can make this for the same budget we can go to we can go to india
0: Mm
2: -hmm. as opposed to you know doing it here
0: sure
2: and we were like really let's do it (laughs) okay yeah let's do it okay and so you know next thing we were in india and it was incredible incredible experience and um and then we came back and did a tour and um it, it was it was it was good, everything was going along, to, along fine. Then it was time to make the fourth album and um, we had a bunch more songs and did it again with Stasium, and that's called mm-hmm. Evening of the Harvest. Yeah. I could wait forever by the stony
0: So my, so, okay, so I don't, again, I don't know whether things are performing up to your expectations or not, but you guys call it quit shortly after this. And the thing I always find really interesting in uh, musicians' careers are the transitions when things kind of come to an end. I mean, for everybody, they go, there's a point where they're nobody, and then they become somebody, and then maybe that band peters out or their moment in the sun goes away or whatever it is, and they have, they wake up that next morning Wow, I'm not a translator anymore. And uh, no. what do I do? And you've got 13 years before the boy who rode the bike around, him, uh, rode right. bike around the world comes out. Right. So for 13 years, do you go sell insurance? Do you, no. uh, you know, become a firefighter? What do you do?
2: Um, I sold insurance to firefighters. <laughs> and that works. then, nice. yeah. <laughs> um, no, I. Uh, it's funny you say that, though. When I was um, 21, my turn 21, I was working in a life insurance company. Um, and uh, this is long before Translator, or sure. not long before, but before Translator. And yeah. um, we had friends who said, you should get a job at this place I work. And I said, I don't want to work in an office. Oh, no, it's great. And, and I was there, and uh, it was really, really very bizarre. We would get stoned before we'd go in. Mm-hmm. And to be in this weird environment, but that's a whole other thing.
3: Um,
2: so kind of yes to your question. I did sell insurance, but it was
0: a long time ago. Got it. Okay.
2: Um, <laughs> no, it was, um, and I didn't sell it. That was, I was in this office and my my job was to, um, this was when a computer took up an entire floor sure. of the office building <laughs>
3: yeah. and they
2: had these punch cards that they had to feed right. in. You know, uh-huh. And um, my job was to get these, applications people would fill out over and, then, and mail in mm-hmm. and then I had to run it through some machine called the it was called the MIB the Medical Information Bureau mm. and the whole goal was to deny the people coverage
0: <laughs> of course it was
2: <laughs> I remember this I remember uh. this woman who worked there she seemed ancient to me she was probably like you know 50 mm-hmm. and she if she was that old and she her name was Mildred and she I remember um, I went with my girlfriend and a bunch of friends at the time to see this movie that was really popular uh, called deep throat.
0: Sure.
3: And um, <laughs>
2: yeah. we all went to see that and we were going in, you know, I'm probably about 19 or 20 and Mildred was coming out of the theater. Mm-hmm. And it was like,
0: is that Mildred? <laughs> <laughs> it was out great. in the wild? Like it a regular was fantastic. person? That's crazy.
2: It was fantastic. Cool. Um, but anyway, I, I digress.
3: Oh,
0: that's
2: um nice. Yeah, in the years after, well, Translator, so we we do the fourth album,
3: Uh
2: and it was kind of on the tour around that album, which was a a good tour, but I don't know if if we were tired or, you know, something. Hmm. We needed to recharge, but we decided, you know, I think that's enough. Okay. And, you know, whether we should have just taken a six-month break and, you know, seen what Mm -hmm. happened, but. We just said eh, eh, that's enough, mm-hmm. and parted as friends, and then, um, and you're right. I was sort of like, whoa, yeah. now what? Yeah, you know. But I remembered well, the present tense also broke up, once mm-hmm. my old band, my original mm-hmm. band, and I was like, what am I going to do? And then translator happened. I didn't know these people then, so mm-hmm. something will happen. That's mm-hmm. been kind of my whole, sure, you know, good uh, thing is you know. Something will happen. Um, uh, Never really had a big plan. And um, I'm not good at that
3: kind Uh of stuff. So
2: (laughs) um, in the intervening years, yeah, I did different things. Kind of whatever I had to do. um, uh, Would have a few jobs here and there. Anything um,
0: outside of music? Or was it all music related? um,
2: There were some music related things. And, um, you know, actually for a brief period worked in a video store. Really? and um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Cool. You know, just like, I got to do something. What sure. Do? And were and you back uh, in
0: L.A. or San Francisco or where?
2: In in L.A. Okay. Yeah, I moved back to L.A. after a Translator broke up. Okay. And it was funny. Um, I realized I don't know how to do anything mm. except mm. play music.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: what am I going to do? And okay. I, you know, would play with a few people here and there, but it's not like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know it's, it, it was whatever it was. Um, and so I finally decided, you know, I have all the, I've never stopped writing songs because, you know, I write songs cause I have to, I just always do, mm-hmm. always do. And I, I found some demos not that long ago and they're not that good. The songs write after translator. Mm-hmm. If I really look at them in the harsh light of reality,
3: okay.
2: cause I was sort of figuring out what to do, you mm-hmm. know, who, who, who am I? as a? and now I'm a solo artist wait, I've never, I've only been in a band, right? You know the present tense, and then Translator that you know I've only been a band guy. What? How are you a solo artist? Right. And I give a lot of credit to my friend Marvin Ezioni, who was mm. uh, one of the founders of Lone Justice. And mm-hmm. but I knew him uh, before then, when Translator was still a trio in the very early days. In 1979, we met, and we remained good friends. We're still very close friends. Good. And I contacted him as soon as I moved to LA pretty soon, and I said, "Look, I'm gonna make a record. Uh, I, I, but I don't know how. I don't know what it is. And so we got together, and I played him a bunch of songs. and um, he, you know, he booked a studio, and we went in Dave Chef played drums mm-hmm. from Translator, and Larry Decker, actually from translator, played bass. So it was mm-hmm. almost a little translator <laughs> record, right? right? And that was the boy who rode his bike around the world. And, um, I had all these songs and we recorded them live in the studio for the most part. Hmm. And then I thought, well, what do I do with this? So I, you know, put it out myself, started a little thing called sleepless records. And I put, put it out on that. And, um, and then I just have kept going.
0: I think my favorite song off that album is Hesitation Street.
1: Conversation, explanation, imitation of limitation, hesitation, restoration, question mark, and in the dark. Beyond the taste of you, beyond the places that you tasted to. Do. That is not the way you thought, no, no, that's not the truth at all. Every time I look at you, I don't know what to talk about because every time I look at you, I don't know what to say, like train crash on the bastard through the frost of that time and no one ever knew about it go away. Come back, go away, come back. Why do we always seem to meet out on hesitations?
2: I've always had this kind of hidden ability to sing really fast. <laughs> and And I realized well, wow, I've never done that on a record. And again, I always want to do something different on a record. So yeah. I thought, well, I'm going to write a song. And that song just sort of, you know, popped out. It's like, oh oh boy. And so, really? yeah. And I think we've got a really good recording of it. I'm really good. pleased with that. Um,
0: that's funny. You mentioned singing really fast and we'll get to this in a minute, but I would say your new album is the opposite of singing really fast for most yeah. of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, I'll put a pin in that because I want to spend more time on that in a second. Mm -hmm. um, So, I mean, forgive me if I'm beating a dead horse here, but for those 13 years, besides working in a video store, are you barely getting by? Were you married? Did you have a wife or a girlfriend that was the primary breadwinner? I'm just curious how when people, because no offense, translator, as great as they were, you wouldn't have been able to live off royalties or anything like that, you know? So what do you do? What do people do in that situation when they were rock stars and now they got to figure the next thing out?
2: Um, you know, and this is not a cop-out, but I kind of don't remember. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, and I don't know if I blacked it out and maybe I need years of therapy, <laughs> but <Maybe>. um, <laughs> uh and answer your question. Yes, my my girlfriend was my wife at that point, and we um, um, uh, moved to LA together after okay. Translator. And um, but it was um, you know I'm sure we both had jobs and okay. you know
3: just regular it, you know, life. You just,
2: you just sort of get by. Yeah, yeah. Okay. exactly. But but I never stopped right. playing music and writing songs. Okay. And um, I remember I had a job somewhere. It was uh, at an advertising agency, literally. Like now it's probably all done online, but then it was like, wow, these plans for this, um, advertising campaign have to be delivered to this office by, by four o'clock you better. And my job was to go drive them over there Mm. and and hand them to them. Yeah. And, um, one of their clients I remember was CBS TV and
0: Mm.
2: it was, one of their clients was The young and the restless, the, the, (laughs) the, um, soap opera. Okay. And I remember walking over there and it was, like, this is cool walking around the set and yeah. it reminded me of going to the set with when my parents were making a movie or tv show that i'd go to the set sure. sometimes and i was like oh i know what i know what this yeah. is I'm like, this is i'm familiar with this
0: okay yeah yeah i can imagine okay um so now since the since 1999 when that when your first solo album comes out i mean you've been fairly prolific ever since whether it's your own solo stuff or oblivion click stuff. Have you just continued to make a living primarily ever since then as a, as a professional musician in your own humble way, whatever that might be? Yeah.
2: Yes. I mean, although I, I did work for a number of years in music publishing.
0: Mm, okay.
2: Um, and uh, but always kept, I was still putting records out and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I see that those years now as kind of really learning music publishing in and out and uh you know inside and outside and, and learning all about licensing and all that kind of stuff okay. and um uh you know so that was actually really helpful mm-hmm. and I met a lot of really good people uh through that who I still know good um, okay yeah but I but I you know kept kept making records the whole time
0: mm. okay
2: and like you say I am you know knock on wood kind of kind of and prolific or something
0: yeah.
2: at least i keep writing
0: yeah i mean it's been consistent i guess for the last 20 yeah. years or so you know it every been. couple of years there's more steven barton out steve yeah. barton out there to look, to yeah. check out um now tell me about how the oblivion click starts because i love Derek anderson i'm a big smithereens fan anyway the world is burning and turning and i
1: guess you're really learning with the turning of the title it you really mean. Need-
0: And Robbie Wrist, I, uh, I, I, I had. Do you do you know the band Sorrows? Yeah. Okay. I had Arthur Alexander on here, and we become a really yeah. friendly, and so I know about Robbie's association with Arthur and right. playing with Sorrows. How did you hook up with those two?
2: Well, it's a funny story, actually. I was uh, doing a show. I had just moved. Well, I had moved to San Francisco. okay. Translator broke up. Mm-hmm. We moved back to L.A. Me and my wife. Then. About five years later, moved back to San Francisco mm, mm. and translated to some reunion stuff. Right. And in about 93. Mm. And um, did some demos for Epic Records and stuff and, did you know, did, mm. did some shows. And um, and then that lasted for about a year, year or two. Then we moved back to Los Angeles. Mm. And I was in L.A. doing a... And I thought, okay, I'm going to do my solo act will be me with my Les Paul through a Marshall really loud, but just solo.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I thought that'll be kind of like, like Billy Bragg, but really loud. Mm, I thought nice. oh, that I thought, that's it. I'll yeah. do that. And so I wrote a bunch of songs and, um, I was doing that at a club and Robbie wrist came up to me after the show. I'd never met him in my life. And he came up to me and he said, introduced himself and said, why aren't you in a, why don't you have a band? Huh. And I said, uh, I don't know anybody. I just uh-huh. moved here. Uh-huh. And he said, and it turns out he was a he knew translator and stuff. And so okay. I said, and he said, don't go, don't go anywhere. And he disappeared into the crowd. It was it was kind of a big crowd at the place. And then he came back with this woman, and he said, I'm Robbie. This is Lisa. She's the bass player. I'm the drummer. Uh, when's the rehearsal? <laughs> Nice. Literally.
0: Oh, that works. Again, it
2: was like a movie. Yeah. And I said, oh, uh, Saturday, <laughs> you know, whatever. Right. And so we were a band for I think just called Steve Barton for about a year, and then they broke up.
0: Huh. And oh, they broke up. Was they Lisa, broke his up. And, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. And then rather than being, you know, uh, kind of Fleetwood Mac, we mm-hmm. he said, you got to meet this friend of mine, Derek Anderson. He's a he's a really good bass player, and mm-hmm. so, you know, Derek, and Robbie, and I are all still really, really good friends.
0: Good, I love and so I met
2: Derek, guys. and it was clearly a match made in heaven. And nice. he sings like an angel, and he plays bass, you know, like a beetle. And mm-hmm. that's the whole thing was just incredible. And um, we were together. We made uh, two albums, and there was also uh, another friend, Casey Dolan, who played guitar.
3: Mm.
2: And um, so it was a four piece. It started out as a three-piece and then became a four-piece, just like Translator, mm-hmm. same thing. And um, and then what happened was we made two albums, one called Charm Offensive and one called Flicker of Time. Mm-hmm. And what happened was my dad got really sick and um, ended up um, passing away. And so when he died, it just, I don't know, I, I went... I gotta step back for a minute right? and I wrote all these songs after he died really fast mm-hmm. including one that's called Super Fantastic Guy that I wrote the day he died Wasn't it
1: strange Last time I saw you You wanted new shoes To run away I told you outside it was raining You were explaining Why you don't want to stay to say goodbye it isn't easy but i'll try you were a super fantastic guy i say anymore i will start to cry i'm so glad i got to tell you how much i love you
2: A smile at the I went, hour. again, my friend Marvin Etzioni, I went to his house, Where and I said, hey, I've written a bunch of songs, I just, I just got to play them for someone. And he said, sure. So he set up his tape recorder in his house, uh, literally a four-track cassette machine. <laughs> That's the kind of guy he is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and uh, his four-track Tascam or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. um, I ended up playing about 18 songs. Whoa. And I did not play these for anybody some of them I hadn't even played for my wife. It was just like I hadn't played them for anybody. Yeah. And and he said, oh, well, this sounds like an album. And yeah. That was the farthest thing from my mind. I wasn't really? thinking albums. What yeah. were
0: you thinking? I mean, when a musician does that, I'm sure it's a burst of creativity. Are you thinking, I'll record these for posterity? I'll give them to my, I don't know if you have siblings or whatever.
2: I didn't know what to do with them. Mm. I just thought I've written all these songs. Isn't this interesting? I yeah. want to share them with someone, so I got to play them for someone. Okay. And so he he said it sounds like an album, and I said, well, let me just I got to play them for Robbie and Derek. Let me play them for my band, and you know,
3: uh-huh.
2: then I'll I'll we'll work something out. He said that would be a cool record. He said, and I'll do that. He said, I think, or, mm-hmm. you know, this is a really personal record because the songs were very, very to the bone.
3: Yeah.
2: And and he said, maybe you play all the instruments on this one. Mm. And I said, oh, I can't do that. No, no, mm-hmm. I can't. Those guys. And, mm-hmm. and so I thought about it over the weekend. And I got back to him. I said, you know, let's do it. That that makes sense to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I had to kind of pull the plug on the Oblivion click. And, you know, it made me feel bad.
0: And were I, they cool with that? They were.
2: I think they understood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know. And I went in with Marvin and did, I think, a really beautiful record called Projector. One, one, two, Projector. Projector.
1: The sun is setting down tonight, somewhere with you. Your eyes are open wide awake all night, me too. Projector, let's steal the projector, I wonder what What you're doing now, and where
0: you are.
2: And um, I play all the instruments on that. Yeah. And um, uh, we recorded it really on tape, on two-inch tape, and we could only afford one reel. Wow. And you can only get about three songs on that, and uh so we would record,
0: uh-huh.
2: mix onto quarter inch for people who know what that means. Uh-huh. You know, mix mix the song. You like that mix? Yeah, that's good. Okay, um, let's erase the two inch tape and record some more songs.
0: No way. You know,
2: we would have to commit. I mean, I think we also put it onto, you know, Pro yeah. Tools at the same time, but we never went back and remixed anything.
0: Whoa,
2: yeah. And so, um, that was cool. Yeah. And then that record, um, again, I put it out on my label, sleepless records and, um, it got some really good attention and, um, yeah, it's a really heartfelt record. And, mm-hmm. um, then it was, it was until the, the record that's out now. Yeah. I didn't think there'd be that big a gap, but there, but there was.
0: Mm. So I got to ask, Make it doing a three-disc album in this day and age is kind of a ballsy move. When you right. figure how people, you know, I, I'm guessing your fans or people of our, I include myself just because I, am yeah. you know, a little older or whatever, uh, grew up, you know, wanting to collect records yeah. or CDs or whatever, and it's different for us. But in the pick and choose buffet style, you know, iTunes culture that we're in mostly, that's a ballsy move making a three-disc album. Were yeah. you so full of creativity that you couldn't, you just couldn't hold it all inside or did you just think to hell with it? I, I'm proud of every one of these songs. I'm going to throw them all out there. That's kind
2: of what happened. Really? I mean, it was, okay, good. I had a record finished. Um, I moved from Los Angeles. Again, it's always about moving. Yeah. So I was, you know, uh, I moved from Los Angeles to Portland, Oregon, which is where I live now. And, um, I guess I'm living where I'm living now. If you talk to me in a couple of years, we'll see. Yeah, but, like
0: uh, <laughs> uh,
2: but yeah, I'm living in Portland, Oregon, and love it. And uh, I'd recorded an album in L.A. with Marvin Sioni Producing mm-hmm. and um, another friend named Willie Aaron. And um, with a band we put together for the album, I'd written a bunch of songs. And it's Dave Chef on drums from Translator, mm-hmm. um, Nelson Bragg on percussion. He's in Brian Wilson's band. Mm-hmm. Um, Derek Anderson on bass, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, Doesn't Marvin Pete Thomas, Pete in there? Thomas. Yeah. Pete Thomas from from the and the attractions, yeah. uh, he's on three songs and then Dave plays drums on all the other songs and we recorded everything live in the studio looking at each other. And, you know,
0: uh-huh.
2: some of the songs people hadn't even heard. And it was like, let's work out an arrangement. It was really, really exciting, really cool studio, um, in LA. And that was finished. and got it mastered. And was like, okay, I'm going to put this out. And then moved to Portland. Mm, got it. Um, kind of had to move. Our house got sold. The whole, whole thing happened. And so we we moved to Portland. And I thought, you know, I'll put this out. Let me just take you. This moving is a whole hassle. Hang, hang on. I can't deal with Anne putting out a record. So g- give me a second. And moved here. And I started you know, in our house. Now I have my own little studio. I kind of didn't before. It was Mm -hmm. sort of set up in the living room. Now I have my own studio in the house. And it was, I thought, well, suddenly all these songs started coming out. Wow. And I thought, well, I like these songs too. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: (laughs) And they sound really good to me. And I like them. And they're very current. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'll put out a double album. Maybe I'll do that. Or I'll put out the album I made in LA. And then like, couple months later put out Mm -hmm. this album then I suddenly started writing a bunch more songs Mm -hmm. that were all quiet Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and dark and sort of almost whispered Mm -hmm. and you know where I barely play the guitar and it was like oh I like this record maybe I'll put this one out and then I was talking to a friend of mine who runs a record store here a cool record store and I was talking to him about it and I said you know I might put out like you know, all three albums on the same day or something. Mm -hmm. I want to do something creative or an album a week. And he said, are you going to put out physical? I said, well, maybe a few physical copies, but he said, that's a lot of real estate Mm. in a record store, Mm -hmm. you know, three separate albums. He said, and he said, what about a triple album? Mm. And I thought, wow, (laughs) why didn't I think of that? That's incredible.
3: Yeah.
2: And, what a weird thing to do. Like you said, in this Uh day and age where it's like singles and, you know, nobody listens to albums. Nobody has the the time. So they, they think, um, although there's exactly as much time as there ever was, but, um, (laughs) and so, um, I thought, fuck it. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to put out, I'm going to put them all out. And then when I sequence, you know, got it all mastered and sequenced it all together. And, um, it all kind of works as a piece to, mm. to my ears. Okay. Not as a it's not necessarily a concept album, but it it all works. And I thought, you know what, I'm just going to put it out there and see what happens. Yeah. And It's gotten really, really well received. It has. And um, it's about to start the you know promotional stuff for the UK and Europe.
0: Oh and, really? In
2: in the fall, we'll see what oh, happens. interesting. There. Okay.
0: Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I wonder. You know, and and yeah, that album is. Pretty dark and somber and uh, I wondered you know because you, you've we touched on it earlier you've done so many different styles I wondered why things are you heavy are you burdened with are you depressed I mean <laughs> no, are, I'm not really funny I think I am yeah well, kind <laughs> of yeah I mean look I know the state of the world today is frustrating everybody you don't yeah. know this but uh, you and I are Facebook friends have been yeah. for a while. So I remember when you moved to Portland Yeah, and um, I know how you feel about the current climate. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Many people are. I yeah. didn't know if that's what was influencing all this kind of, you know, heaviness or if it was just the vibe, you know, the muse that you were channeling at that moment, this is it. This is what's coming out right now.
2: That's what it was. Okay. I mean, and who knows where that all comes from. I'm sure, sure. that the current climate right. certainly affects it. Um, But, you know, for me. <laughs> like I do a version of Unalone, the translator song. It's great. Uh, and it's really. Quiet. And that came about because I was doing it live that way. Sometimes it feels like
1: there's going to be a war. Today. Between the things I feel and the things I say Sometimes the lines are drawn between my mind and heart Forever pulling us apart My heart has a mind of its own Your heart has a mind of its own I'm a restless shadow On a street of stone We are only strangers
2: And it's really quiet, and that came about because I was doing it live that way, this quiet way. And then I would do the first verse like that, then break into the up-tempo, you know, translator version. So, you know, um, and a friend of mine was watching the show. I was doing it in Seattle, and uh, with with a friend that he had brought. And the friend he had brought said to him, "Oh, I hope he does the whole song like this." While I was doing it really quiet, and then I burst into the up-tempo version and she was kind of disappointed and I thought, wow I'm going to, so I went home and I thought, I'm going to record that slow version and see what happens and I just loved it. Good. I mean, you hear the lyrics in a different way and you know it's really easy to sing and all that kind of stuff Yeah. and um, you know I looked at it as that that quiet record which is album number two in this set is um, I wanted to make a record you could put on while people were over for dinner Mm. and there wasn't the sort of sudden and here's the one that we hope is a big hit you know right. just like it's it's this thing that just in fact em, anytime I tried to add too much to anything it was like no no I can't do that mm. you know it's just so everything because I play all the instruments on the first two records I think so did. I you know yeah. and then and um, the first rec, first album is, is sort of my more up-tempo you know songs
0: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, yeah I'm, I'm really really pleased with the way Good. the whole thing came out
0: Good. It reminds me a lot of Tom waits. Um, yeah. when I listen to it, it, it reminds me, maybe you've heard this comparison before. It reminds me a little bit of if Jonathan Richman were Tom waits and not the like hmm. funny guy that t- Jonathan Richman actually is, you know, like that. That's, that's kind of what it reminds me of.
2: So like that. yeah. Well, one, one big influence on, on this, um, record influence or at least a, 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 uh, um, reminder that, oh, I could do a record like this was, especially for the quieter record, was the soundtrack to a movie called Submarine that um, Alex Turner from Arctic Monkeys did.
1: I'm not the kind of fool who's gonna sit and sing to you about stars, girl but last night I
2: It's Interesting. Um, because I love Arctic Monkeys. And, yeah, you know, but they're a very loud band. And this is like the first song on this soundtrack. It's he's barely playing guitar and like almost whispering. It's like oh, and the huh. whole album's kind of like that. Yeah, and, and I thought oh, well I'm going to do some stuff like that. And so, you know, I did. Good. And I'm really happy. Good. And, and as an aside, I've got most of the songs written for whatever the next record is going to be.
0: Ah, <laughs> nice. That's great. Now are they yeah. in keeping with kind of the somber tone or are you going to, no. you're pumping it back up a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, if, if, can, if, if the name Steve Barton appears on a, on a marquee in a town, I mean, are you, forgive me, I don't know. Do you, could you? draw a decent crowd do you have a place? you know
2: I, i'm gonna find out because i haven't really done a lot of solo touring i mean yeah, i've done a bunch of shows that. here and there yeah sort of putting my my foot in the water of
0: mm. you know
2: i want to you know now I'll plunge into the live thing i've done the record
0: yeah
2: how am i gonna do this am i gonna put a band together to do it and i think most of the shows will probably just be me
0: yeah okay
2: um and maybe a few dates if i'm in la i can pull people together or different towns but i don't want to you know putting a band together to go on tour is you know uh you know there's a lot of expense involved in that of and
0: uh, yeah. um, well to strip it down
2: yeah i want to strip it down i want to because I, I don't want it to be an excuse of well i would go on tour except mm-hmm. i have to have a band and that's too much money so i'm not gonna do anything right you know, that, that that doesn't work for me
0: well and you played most of that album yourself anyway I mean, did. I'm sure you can recreate that live with some overdubbing or whatever it is you want oh, to do. Oh, I've,
2: I've, I've been practicing at home. But it sounds had, pretty good. I had a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> and okay. I can do some translator songs, you know, sure. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, okay, good. A couple of cover songs. Yeah.
0: Cool. Okay, good. Uh, okay. Well, look, I, uh, I've i kept you longer than I thought I would. I really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, I hope I didn't receive. ramble on too much. No, though. are you kidding? You were full of great stories. In fact, that's going to be you, my you. last question. I'm curious, if you, when you look back, when you're on your porch there in Portland... At yep. your new house, and uh, you know, you start thinking about your move to Nova Scotia here in a couple years, right? Because uh, it's inevitable. Um, it is. Where, what memory jumps to mind as the most? I just cannot believe that happened to me. Thing.
2: Um. There's a. There's a song on on the new record mm-hmm. on which is called Tall Tales and Alibis, on the mm-hmm. new record, um, the triple album. That's right. Called, forgot, I forgot um, to mention the name. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, oh, don't Still worry. T- don't worry. I won't forget. A <laughs> song called Dawn. Oh,
0: interesting.
2: Um, and I was sleeping, and I had a dream that Bob Dylan came to me and said, um, you know, hey, Steve, you want to hear my new song? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. And he played me essentially the first verse of that song. <laughs>
1: reflections. All the webs were tightly spun. There was something about your accent. I couldn't put my finger on, but I'm not gonna think about it now. I'm gonna wait until the dawn. Well, everything was all in pieces.
2: up remembering it which is highly unusual usually they just fade away and i you know kind of tiptoed in my studio so i wouldn't wake anybody up but um got it down on my phone or whatever and um i thought well i'm gonna finish the song and so that sticks out i liked that Mm -hmm. i like that the song came in this weird unexpected way nice yeah
0: I love that because yeah. then, you know, whenever we hear that song, we're going to be thinking about that. That's great. I yeah, love that. I'm
2: always looking towards the future, you know? Yeah. 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 I Good mean, deal. I have a lot of wonderful memories, but I'm always looking towards the future. And, you know, Okay. I like, you know, I like, you know, my favorite song of mine is I think the one that I haven't written yet, probably.
0: There you have it Steve Barton if you guys were unfamiliar with Steve and translators work I heard I hope you heard some stuff in here that you like and that you'll go seek that stuff out um, in fact that super fantastic guy song when you hear that and you listen to him tell the story doesn't that just choke you up if that didn't move you I don't know what to tell you that was beautiful I wanted to close it out with one more song from the tall tales and alibis album this is the very first track how can I believe so I hope you like it, and I hope you check out more stuff, whether it's Translator or Steve. Uh, and i got to say a quick thank you to one of our listeners, Jed Bodwin. I've mentioned him before. I had been meaning to get Steve on here for a long time, and Jed kind of encouraged me to do so. So I want to say thanks to Jed. Uh, also, we have a fill-in this week. We went back to the OG. Yan needed the week off, so Aaron Syrett filled in this week. Thank you, buddy, for helping us out. You're the best. Um, Also, I want to tell you, I've been holding on to this interview for a little while and the main reason was he mentioned Marvin from Lone Justice in here. I was going to run a translator and a Lone Justice episode back to back and I talked to Marvin and Marvin decided that it would probably be best if I spoke with Ryan Hedgecock who was also in the band. So Ryan and I did an interview and then most of what he said ended up having to be off the record and I said, well look, let's stop right here, let's do this again later. When we can kind of think out what it is we want to say and how to get the right information out here that's not, you know, two cents of it. He said yes. And then we've yet to been able to reschedule that. So I want to say that because in case you heard the name Lone Justice in here and thought, ooh, that's a great idea. Why don't we talk to Lone Justice? I'm working on it. I've been trying for months. It just hasn't happened. It should soon though, hopefully. Uh, and you guys know what to do by now. You can find us on Facebook and like the page. You can send us an email, thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at The Hustle And uh, there may be a very special bonus episode coming up later this week. I'm not exactly sure. We'll see. Also, I'm, working on, I'm waiting for confirmation on some time-sensitive interviews that may bump the schedule back. But if nothing happens, the next probably three weeks are going to be devoted to punk. And the next two especially are punk legends, British punk legends. I can say that comfortably. You're going to love it if you love punk. Okay? We will talk to you guys next week.
1: When I'm walking in the darkness and the rain keeps coming down. The rain keeps coming down, coming down, keeps coming down. Coming down.
3: Down. How can I believe
1: in God when you are the one who's divine? Tell me, how can I believe in God when you are the one who's divine?